We continue this morning with our study of the book of Ruth. In fact, we're concluding the book of Ruth. What we've discovered as we've gone along is that Naomi and Ruth had many times in which they felt as if God had forgotten them. I know all of us have those times in our life. We often call it the silence of God. Those moments in our life when we are really stopping and asking and saying, I know, God, you're there. I know you can hear and answer my prayers, but why am I not sensing it? Why am I not feeling it at this moment? And why are my eyes and my senses not perceiving your work? For Naomi, it started when she and Elimelech were living in Bethlehem and a famine had come and now they had had to move away and they moved to the land of Moab. Now, when they got to Moab, probably life was pretty good and eventually they had children and then life started to take more of these turns in which poor Naomi starts wondering, where is God in all of this? Because her husband passed away. And so now you have this woman who's got these two children, these two boys that she's raising, until the Bible tells us that they met wives. Each of them took a wife, and um, as newly married couple, I'm sure that Naomi's life now started to feel a little bit more normal. She had two sons and two daughter-in-laws, and life was going along, and then we're told that the two boys died. And so now we have Naomi who's lost her husband, and she's lost her two sons, and we have these two young women whose husbands have passed away. The one woman, Orpah, goes back and, and stays with her family when Naomi asks her to, but the other is Ruth, and Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. I'm going to be your family. We're going to be family together. We're facing tough times, but we can get through this. And so Ruth and Naomi leave Moab and they travel what was probably two weeks travel back to Bethlehem. And now they're no longer having Naomi being a refugee in another land, but now Ruth becomes a refugee in a land that's not her home. And as they return, they return to poverty, complete poverty. They're totally dependent on everyone else. And it's during that time that we even heard a few weeks ago that Naomi goes so far as to say, you know, you can rename me. Quit calling me Naomi. Just call me Mara, which means bitterness, because I just can't believe all the misfortune that's happened in our lives. Isn't that how life can be for us sometimes? We can look at things and say, I can't believe how difficult it's become. I'm a person of faith. I've given my life to God. I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior, but I'm still facing these difficulties and these pains well, this morning's message is called, The Best is Yet to Come. We do know the end of the story. Amen, folks? Amen. We know the end of the story. We know that Christ conquers death, that life is life eternal, that there's a heaven that awaits us, and that if we haven't seen the good come yet, it's not the end yet, because God always is working and working for restoration but in the midst of the time when we are waiting for that and when we're praying, we can feel a lot like these two women. I think of that this Sunday, and I always think of that on Palm Sunday. Only this year, it is very real. As I stand here and I look out to a congregation that doesn't exist here because we're not able to physically be together, and I know that we're at home and people are watching in your own homes and on your TVs and, and different devices. But I must admit that it gives sort of a stark contrast to what usually I experience on Palm Sunday, 
But interestingly, it ties into the message that I so often believe we need to hear on Palm Sunday, which is on one Sunday, on one day of the week, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and as you see the palm branches I put up here on the piano, people went and they waved the palm branches, and they, they welcomed Jesus in and said, life is great, look how good it is, our Redeemer has arrived. But of course, that was only the beginning of a week that very quickly, in that same week, as the Bible tells us, that the same crowds that welcomed Jesus turned against him. And the same Jesus who comes in with people welcoming and wanting him ends up being him having a very quiet meal with his friends only to have one of them betray him who turned against him, Judith, and turned him into authorities. And Jesus was arrested and he was nailed to the cross and he died. And you can imagine going from the feeling of Oh, it's Palm Sunday, life is good, to that week of Holy Week that we're entering in, which is really a time in which we reflect on those moments in our life when it seems as if God has forgotten us. To many who laughed and ridiculed Jesus on that first and most holy of Holy Weeks, they certainly were saying, where is God? Where's your God? If you're the Redeemer, if you're the Messiah, if you're the anointed one of God, how come these bad things are happening to you? Can't we relate? Much like Naomi and Ruth, much like we in our lives right now today, we're praying and we're longing and, and asking God, begging God, come through on this. Answer our prayers. Heal our loved ones. Keep our loved ones who work in the hospital safe. Help us find a cure. Help us find a vaccine. Yes, I often think on Holy Week that it is a time in which if we were there and we were with Jesus, we would somehow think that God had forgotten and God was no longer acting. I remember when David was a little boy. David, of course, is our oldest and now our worship pastor, but he was just a little boy and he was with his aunt on a Good Friday. And he was out with her and he said to her, you know, auntie, today is Good Friday. And she said, yes, I know that, David. And then he said, you know, today's the day that they killed Jesus. And she said, yes, yes, I know that. And then she asked him a question. She said, why did they call it Good Friday if it's a day that they killed Jesus? And little David, always wanting to have an answer, said, oh, originally it was called Goodbye Friday, but they changed it. Well, we can feel like that, can't we? Like it's goodbye. Like there's an emptiness. But I like to think with Goodbye Friday, there's always a plot twist, and Hello, I'm Back is just around the corner. Do you hear what I'm saying? On Good Friday, it looked as if Satan had won and Jesus had been defeated. To Ruth and Naomi, during their lowest times as they arrived back in Bethlehem, it looked like God had deserted them and where were they going to go? But just like with Jesus, there was a hello, I'm back on Easter morning. So too with us, our faith tells us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're facing, no matter how dark the moment may be, no matter that we are experiencing a Palm Sunday, entering into a holy week in which we will never forget this holy week 
because it will be the time in which we were not able to gather together physically and we're literally forced to realize that there are times, like with our Savior, when things go so far differently than how we want them to go. And yet, the promise of God is Easter's just around the corner. Hello, I'm back. Hello, life is going to be better. Because we know with God, the best is yet to come. That's what our faith tells us. That's how we live. And so this morning, as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and how it intersects with our lives and Holy Week, it all begins by us knowing that God remembers. No matter what you're facing in your life this morning, no matter whether you're having a good day and feeling like, wow, I can get through this, or whether you're having one of those moments in which you're saying, I just feel like I'm grieving and I don't know who to talk to because if I try to talk to somebody else, I discover that they're grieving also. No matter where you or I are today, let's know for certain that God remembers. That's the promise of the scripture. Even at those times when it seems as if to us God is far away, God never moves. God is there. God hears our prayers and God remembers In our text, we read in verses 13 and 14, So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Yes, no matter how dark life had looked at any moment for Ruth and or Naomi, No matter how troubled those women had been in their journey of faith, we discover that God remembered them both. God was always paying attention and God was always working behind the scenes in ways even when they couldn't see it. Their life may have been difficult, but God honored their faithfulness because God understood their fears and their doubts. It's easy for us to think at times that maybe the problem is with us. All the while, what we need to realize, there is no problem. God is faithful and God remembers and God is answering your prayers and God is hearing and God is listening and God is present in everything that we do today and every day. Just like with Ruth and Naomi, God remembers. When we start thinking that it's all about us and we start measuring ourselves and comparing ourselves to someone else and we start looking at difficulties in our lives when we start wondering things like, maybe the reason that I'm not sensing God's presence is because maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. Maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I haven't been faithful enough. Well, the truth is, it's not about us. It's not about us being more faithful or doing more or praying more, or being more active, God remembers and God is faithful and God understands our insecurities and our hurts and our times when we have confusion. I think sometimes our faith can sort of become like our parenting. I remember when I was a young parent, it always felt like no matter what I did, I never felt like I was good enough. Now, I'm sure that there's probably young parents who are listening who can identify I would do my best, I would try all that I could, I'd spend as much time as I could with my children, but somehow because we would have arguments or disagreements or I would feel like I would let them down or, or maybe it's because the behavior wasn't the exact way that I thought as a parent that kids should act, I always took it back personally and had this tendency to say, what am I doing wrong? 
One day, Regina and I and David and Todd were in a coffee shop in um, Washington, D.C., and we were visiting a friend of ours, and it was quite packed, and I looked over, and I saw a woman who was reading a book. I couldn't believe what the title of the book was, so I literally walked over and, and leaned down. I'm sure I scared her a little bit at first, and I said, could you tell me about that book? And she smiled, and she said, oh, it's wonderful. I said, is that name exactly what I think it says? And she looked at me and held up the book, and she said, yes, it's an awesome book. It's called, You're a Better Parent Than You Think. You're a better parent than you think. I remember standing there thinking, every book that I read just makes me feel worse as a parent because they always tell me these things that I never feel like I can live up to. I went home and I bought that book. In fact, I've had a number of copies of that book that I've given out to parents from time to time. And I said, remember, you're a better parent than you think. Well, the message this morning is the message for Ruth and Naomi. We're better people of faith than we think. You're a better Christian than you think. You don't need to have prayed more. You don't need to have read your Bible more. You don't need to have been more faithful in your life because God's answering prayers is dependent on God remembering, not on our getting it perfect. That's what Ruth and Naomi discover. They discover what an awesome God there is that God remembered, and that's our word that we want to remember today. God remembers. Have you ever forgotten things? I forget things all the time. I work to put stuff in my phone and in my calendar to make sure I don't, but there's so many times that, that I forget things. I remember one time that a good friend had a birthday, and it was a few days later, and all of a sudden I realized that I had done absolutely nothing for my friend for their birthday. And I ran into them, and the friend looked at me and said, thank you, Stan, for you and Regina sending me a card. I really appreciated it. And I said, oh, absolutely. I realized the person wasn't being insincere. He literally just was appreciative that Regina and I had thought to send him a card. Notice it was Regina and I, meaning it was Regina who had remembered I had forgotten. I went back home and I said to Regina, thank you for sending that birthday card. See, my wife remembers sometimes when I don't. Sometimes there are things I completely forget. There's sometimes things you forget. There's times when we feel as if because we're forgetful, maybe God forgets, but our text reminds us that God remembers. God knows your situation. God knows your loved ones. God knew what was going on with Ruth and Naomi, and God was there to hear and answer their prayers in God's time, not in their time, because we serve a God who remembers. Let's claim that promise today. Because once we discover that God remembers, we also discover that God restores. That's a God that we serve. God doesn't leave us in those moments in we, which we feel like everything's fallen apart or everything is bad or where is God? We may go through those moments. We may go through those times of silence. We may go through those journeys of darkness just like Jesus himself spent the time in the wilderness or the Children of Israel spent 40 years out in the wilderness. Some days it feels to us like it's 40 years. We're told that the earliest we could be not social distancing is early May. That feels like an eternity. That feels like four months. Then people start getting caught up with other timelines. The important thing is not to think about a timeline, but to think about a God who not only remembers, he restores. And that's a promise of the Scripture. 
Listen again as I come back and go back again. Verse 14 where it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in all of Israel. And then goes on and says, God shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. People looked at Naomi and they said, Wow, God's restored you. They looked at young Ruth, and they said, God is a God who restored you. God is a God of restoring each one of us, working in your life, working in my life, working in our lives. Naomi and Ruth could never get back what they'd lost. And there's no pretense in the scripture that somehow makes us think that when we've lost something special or something important or a loved one, that God replaces the loved one. There's none of that. The men that they had lost in their lives, the the husband, the sons, those were lost, and that was awful. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't restore, and God doesn't continue to do work in our lives. Because when God restores, even when we look at the things and we say, okay, but there's still stuff or people or things that I've lost or a position that I've lost, we discover that there is a way in which God works in that restoration to move us forward and help us know that God is still in control. And one of the things, and I'm sure it happened with Ruth and Naomi, is we become better people. You see, we are all growing. Right now, today, every one of us is growing. We don't grow during the good times. We grow during the tough times. We don't grow when we pray a prayer and we get a job promotion and we come home and our spouse got a job promotion and our two kids come home from school and one was student of the week and the other just got inducted into National Honor Society. Those are all great things to celebrate and there's times like that that we love to celebrate, but we grow during the times of our life where we go through hard times and we await and listen for God and wait for God to do his restoration Like Naomi, God teaches us that we're wrong when we declare ourselves to be Mara and bitter and we say life has just turned against us. And so we work through that and we're patient and God is patient with us and the Holy Spirit works in our lives and that restoration starts taking place and we start realizing that with God we can get through absolutely anything. That's why one of the stories we love in the Old Testament is the story of Job and the trials of Job. He never gets back the things he originally lost, but God does restore his life. And we look at Job of how to get through tough times, to be looking forward to realizing that God is doing his work of restoring. And during those times, we learn patience. Knowing that God will restore us, we learn to be patient. And we learn to trust in God, and we learn to wait for God. Notice that it was in her old age that God restored Naomi. How many times when she was younger did she think, is today the day? Is this the year in which God's going to do something? Am I finally going to get our family farm back? Am I finally going to be the grandparent that I want to be? Am I finally going to be able to live the life that I know that God wants me to live? And yet the scripture says it wasn't until her old age that she experienced the restoration The Bible says, and the word that's used here, is that God literally nourishes her. The Hebrew word for nourish is the word to hold. What Ruth and Naomi had discovered is that God held them. Even during those moments when things seemed so difficult and life seemed so dark, 
God was holding them and the restoring was already taking place because even in the midst of difficult times, God was doing his work. Whatever you're facing, remember that God's holding you. It's not that you and I have to learn to be patient and learn to tough things out. We need to relax and realize that God's holding on to us and caring for us. And his promises are true, and God will restore. These days will be over. We will be better people because of this. We will have children and grandchildren that will talk to us and ask us, how did you get through the time during the coronavirus pandemic? How did you learn to trust in God? And we'll be able to say, we knew that God was restoring, that God was holding us, that God was caring for us, and God was carrying us through. My wife, Regina, was talking to Janice in our church one day. And Janice said to Regina, you know, I'm praying for patience. And Regina said, oh, no, never pay for patience, because when you pray for patience, God's going to have to give you something to learn to be patient about. Pray for strength. Pray to learn to trust in God no matter what we face. That's what we learned from Ruth and Naomi. They discovered that God remembered them. God knew what they were going through. God heard and answered their prayers. And they discovered that God was a God who restores. And when we discover that, just like with Ruth and Naomi, with Ruth and Naomi, the amazing thing is Ruth gets married to this man named Boaz. This Boaz, who is this relative, this person who's able to come in and and purchase the land and take her as his wife and give Naomi back her inheritance, and now they have a child, and this baby becomes the child that's going to keep that family moving forward for generation after generation, they start discovering, wow, God is faithful. God has heard our prayers. God is doing his work. And now, like them, we can learn the same thing. God invites us to reap the benefits, the benefits of our faith, the benefits of trusting in Christ, The benefits of knowing that we don't have to be control, but we can hand everything over to God. In our text, we also read these words. Your daughter, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to this child. Your daughter-in-law who loves you. People started saying to Naomi, wow, look what God's done. You have a child. You have a grandchild. A little baby boy has been born into your family. The text goes on and says, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became a nurse. And the women in the neighborhood gave praise to his name, saying, a son has been, na- has been born to Naomi. They have named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Yes, Ruth had gotten married and now she had a baby. And this baby was the baby Obed. And this child and all of who Ruth was to her mother-in-law and all of what Boaz had been and all the way in which God had worked caused people to say, wow, as a grandmother, Naomi, look how blessed you are by God. Look at, you are reaping the benefits of your faith and your faithfulness. Wow, this is better than if you had seven sons. Look what an amazing thing that God has done in your life. Ruth has gone from refugee to royal line. Think about that. 
this Moabite woman who lived in another country, whose husband passes away, who comes back by faith and, and aligns herself with Naomi and says, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. She comes back to Bethlehem, and there she comes in as a refugee. And she's as low as a person in their society as you can find. She has no social standing, but God has been faithful. God has remembered her. God has restored her. And now she reaps the benefits because the Bible doesn't only tell us here that she has a child, but the name of the child is Obed. And then we're reminded that Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. And of course, King David is the first of the greatest of kings, the great king the greatest king that Israel ever had. And if it isn't enough that Ruth goes from being a refugee to being in the royal line so that when King David comes to the palace, he can look back and he can say, look at my relatives. And who is listed among the relatives is Ruth, this woman who people could have thought at one point, wow, has God deserted her? Only now to realize what an amazing thing that God has done because she's a relative of the king. And then the Bible tells us the story continues. And that's the same line that gives us the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Think of how God has taken these women from refugees and poverty and no social standing to reaping the benefits of being in the royal line and being some of the most beloved figures in their nation's history. There are benefits in trusting God. And there's benefits in trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's benefits in realizing that we don't have to get it perfect. We don't have to be in control, and we don't have to know how to do it all because we are trusting in the one who remembers us, the one who restores us, and the one who allows us to reap benefits. And that's what Palm Sunday and Holy Week is all about. As we begin this week, as we look as this week, as it progresses, we do begin with a time in Jerusalem when people show up with their branches and they wave their palm branches in the air and they welcome Jesus to, to be a Messiah, to be a radical leader who can liberate the people from Roman rule, only to discover throughout that week, 2,000 years ago, our Savior goes from being one who people are celebrating to being the one that people turn against and everyone starts asking, where, where's God in all of this? Where's your God? I thought you were the son of God. I thought you were a special man. Only to go to the point where he is spat upon after he's been arrested and a crown of thorns has been put on his head. And he gets dragged through the, the city streets until he goes to a place called Golgotha. And it's there our Savior is crucified between two criminals. Now, in the midst of even that story, his love and his compassion continues to, to be extended to everyone. As he looks down and he says to people, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as they hurl insults at him. And even as he's gasping for breath, our Savior on a cross finds that one of the men wants to know him better and trusts in him and puts his faith in him. And Jesus gives that man a promise. You've done enough. You didn't have to do more. You didn't have to earn something from God by your own works. You don't know the Bible. You don't know theology. You couldn't teach a Sunday school class. But you've done something else. You've recognized me. And so Jesus turns to him at that moment and says, I'll be with you in paradise. And that's what God offers to us. 
to realize the best is yet to come. Yes, the best is yet to come because we have an eternity of heaven. There's nothing greater. But the best is also yet to come because for Jesus on Good Friday, it was only a couple days until the resurrection took place. And all who experienced it and all as we started to hear about it throughout the world discovered that God was in control all the time and God was working his will and his purpose to bring about the redemption of humanity. So a savior was not only born in a manger, not only lived a perfect life, he gave his life and he rose again and he offers to all of us a relationship with God and forgiveness for everything that we've done wrong and the best continues to be yet to come because God is also the one and Jesus is the one who hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And even during dark, difficult times, whether we find ourselves identifying with Ruth and Naomi or Jesus in the midst of Holy Week, we know that we pray and God remembers and God restores and God will reap benefits in our lives. Trust in him today, wherever you are. Just let's continue to put our trust in him. Let's do what we've asked and let's put our faith in God. We don't put our faith in the news media. We don't put our faith in individuals. We put our faith in God working through individuals. We trust and we listen. And we enter Holy Week in a time in which we are experiencing something that we never would have thought we would be experiencing this week. We're experiencing a solitude away from people that we'd like to be with in the quietness of our own home. And what a time like this to learn to be like Ruth and Naomi, to learn to trust, to realize we're not going to get it perfect and we're not going to trust perfectly and we're going to have our doubts and our fears and our insecurities. And God understands all of those because God's work is not dependent on what we do. It's dependent upon, again, the fact that God remembers, that God restores, and God allows us to reap the benefits. It's not something we earn. It's all gifts that God is giving to us. Let's trust that God today. And that's what I invite you to trust in. I pray that this Holy Week, you and I and our families can turn our lives and our will over to our Savior Jesus and know that he's in control and he's hearing and answering our prayers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi. We thank you that they guide us into how to trust you even during dark and difficult times. We thank you that they found themselves as refugees. They found themselves in really tough places. We thank you because it teaches us that even in the midst of dark times, we know you're still in control. We thank you for our Savior Jesus, who we honor this week as we have our own Holy Week experiences and reflect on how Jesus suffered for us and who went through the pain of rejection and humiliation. And then he gave the ultimate gift of himself as a gift on the cross. As we remember that, help us trust in our Savior even more dearly, knowing that with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit working in our lives, the best is always before us, the best is yet to come. No matter where we find ourselves today, no matter if we have a sense of concern or anxiety, it doesn't matter if we don't think we're as good a Christian as someone else or have somehow failed because you don't take into account our sins and our failures. You take into account the work of your Son, our Savior, in who we trust. And so, this morning, may each one of us 
concentrate and focus this week ahead on knowing that we're not counting on things getting better because of what we are, because we've prayed the perfect prayers or we've read the Bible a certain number of times. We trust because we know you can be counted on. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We ask for a miraculous breakthrough. May a discovery be made with this coronavirus that would bring about a vaccine, would bring about a cure. And may we, in our patience and our listening and our trusting in you, be able to return thanks to you, knowing that you, God, are sovereign and in control and are working through the minds and the works of your people to bring about your solution and your answers. We thank you this day for being our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.